go ahead and pray. Now, Father, I pray that you help us right now to set aside all of the distractions that are on our minds. Just allow you to speak to us. Just to become aware of your presence. And we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are connecting with us online. I want to just reinforce what Ben was talking about earlier. This is a big deal. Uh, if you've never been to one of these little Passover setters, I think it's pretty cool. You'll learn a lot about why we do what we just did every single Sunday, what it means, this Lord's Supper. And it's a way of making this Easter season a little special, more than just a, an Easter service. Bring Christ right into the center of your Easter. That's part of our attempt to do that. So, let's go. Have you ever said something like, I can't help it, just who I am? Or, that's just what I think. Well, that's just how I roll. Maybe something like this. That may sound a little rude to you, but I'm just a Patterson. We just tell it straight, right? Or, I'm old. I've earned the right to speak my piece. Or, it's from New York. It's the way they talk. Or maybe you're a little out of control and, and you're just kind of like, well, I'm a passionate person, right? And you just have to be authentic. You've got to be you, Right? By the way, there's a technical term for all of that stuff. If you've been around Capital City, you know what it is, right? What is it? It's poppycock. Absolute poppycock. Lazy, self-serving drivel. As we excuse, rationalize, justify our misbehavior, our lack of civility, and our lack of self-control, which is, by the way, one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're just being honest. You're just being outspoken, we say, as we excuse somebody with hypercritical words, who's been a Jesus follower for long enough that he should know that you ought to combine grace with truth, right? Well, that's just who he is. But it's not just who he is. It's who he's chosen to be because we settle for way less than we were made to be. And we trust in a God who can make us way more than we are, right? I remember one time sitting across from Jim McKenzie. Jim McKenzie was the vice president of Kentucky Christian College, one of my bosses. He was a very, very perceptive man. And McKenzie looks at me and he says, Patterson, you're sneaky mean, aren't you? Wow. It's kind of a punch in the mouth. And he was right. There's a lot of sneaky mean in me. I'm good at hiding it from most people, not from him. I remember walking across the campus at Atlanta Christian College with Denver Sizemore. He was one of their legendary professors of Bible. I was teaching there at Atlanta Christian while going to Emory. And Denver looked at me and he says, Steve, how did you get so cynical so young? Huh, another punch in the mouth. And both of those memories are still vivid, being unmasked like that. But to be ruthlessly honest, they were both right. In fact, I've oftentimes called myself a barbarian with a thin veneer of Christianity. And I'm only half joking when I say that. 
Because there are two sides to who I am. There is a barbarian part and there's a thin veneer of Christianity. Which is the real me? Which is the real me? The darkest parts of me or those parts of me that are trying to rise above that darkness? Which is the authentic Steve Pattison? Which is the authentic you? I suspect you've got both parts too, don't you? If you've been around here for a while, you probably know that Brennan Manning is one of my heroes. He wrote a great little book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Great book. In that book, Manning writes this. He says, when I'm honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting, but I'm also suspicious. I'm honest, and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal, but I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. Bundle of paradoxes. Some parts of me God-honoring, some parts of me not. Defines him, defines me. I suspect it defines many, if not most all of you. So, is there a difference between who you are now and what you were meant to be by God? C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal. Because if we could actually see each other as we were meant to be, it would change absolutely everything. And I buy that. You see, here it is. You are not the worst of your inclinations and desires. They're holding you back. You are not the twisted, corrupted, tainted, distorted, degraded, grotesque version of yourself that haunts you sometimes when you look in a mirror. No, that is not who God created you to be. It's kind of like we've been infected with a virus, a virus that prevents us from operating consistent with our design. I'll show you. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, some of what I'm going to be talking about will probably sound quite weird because I'm going to make some assumptions. I assume there is a creator God. And I assume that you were created to be special in his image, that you were created for a purpose. And I assume that our sin and some very real spiritual enemies are pulling us away from what God meant us to be. And I assume, this is going to be the big one, that we're going to actually discover who we really are only when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. If you don't buy that stuff yet, it's probably going to sound pretty weird what I'm going to say. Now, if you're just getting started as a Jesus follower, it may not sound so weird. It's just going to sound hard, because it is. It's still immensely important. So here it goes. I'm going to start out by walking through a scene that I think many of you have probably looked at many, many times in the life of Jesus, but we're going to go through it looking for specifically the theme of identity. Identity. Who was Jesus, and what does that mean for who you are? The scene opens with Jesus asking the most important question any one of us is ever going to answer. Who do you think I am, Jesus says. Who do you think he is? Do you really know who Jesus is? And do you really understand what that means for you? Because I'm telling you guys, who Jesus is reveals who you are. Actually, he starts out by asking this. Who do they think that I am? 
And after they tell Jesus what they'd heard, then Jesus directs it to his disciples, and he says, what about you guys? Who do you think that I am? Come on, you guys. You've been with me. You've been watching me. You've been listening to me for about three years. Who do you think I really am? Peter answers for the rest of them, I suspect. He says, well, I think, I think you're the Christ. I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the one we've been waiting for. In fact, Peter says, I think you're the Son of God. Huh. And Jesus is like, exactly. That's it. You get it. In fact, Peter, you're blessed by God. Because that's exactly what God the Father has been trying to show you. You are blessed by God. Can you imagine Jesus saying anything cooler about you? How amazing is it? God whispers, God nudges, and this fisherman hears. And then look at what happens next. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, you are a rock. In fact, that's what the word petros means in Greek, a rock. You are a rock. That's who you are now. And on this rock and on this foundation, I'm going to build my church and not even death is going to be able to overcome it. Now, do you see the connection? When Peter sees who Jesus really is, now Peter can know who he really is. Peter's identity only dances when he sees Jesus' real identity. Now Peter knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is in life. On this rock, I will build my church, Jesus says. And it's what happens there that makes what happens next so jarring. You see, right after revealing to his disciples who he really is, the Messiah, the Son of God, then Jesus says, okay, now, because I'm the Messiah, because I'm the Son of God, now I must, now it is necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and die. I'm going to suffer. They're going to kill me, the Messiah. They're going to kill the Son of God. And in three days, I'll be back which was mind-blowing to these disciples because everyone knows messiahs don't die. Everyone knows sons of God cannot die, right? Not in their little brains. So it says, and this is amazing, right after confessing, right after confessing Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God, right after being blessed by God for this revelation to him by the Father, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. He begins to rebuke God. You're doing it wrong, Jesus. Did you know who you are? You just told us who you are. Now you're doing it wrong. Such a strong word in the Greek. Peter begins to rebuke him, to warn him, to censure him. Can you imagine rebuking God? Well, of course you can because you've done it many times. Telling God that he's doing it wrong. But here it is. If you get Jesus wrong, you get yourself wrong too. If you mess up what makes Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, you're going to mess up what it means to be a Jesus follower. You see, our understanding of who we are really is connected to our understanding of who Jesus really is. Let me show you. It says, Jesus turns to Peter and he says to Peter, the man he had just blessed, this is the guy that he had called the rock. Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Calls him Satan. Get away from me. You're my enemy now. You know, Satan actually means the adversary. Get away from me. 
stumbling block. You're clueless. You are not listening to God now. He's stunningly harsh. These may be the most harsh words that Jesus ever spoke to a man that we're aware of. And it's just moments after he calls Peter blessed by God. It's almost like now he's being cursed by God. I mean, how would you feel if Jesus looked at you and said, Get away from me, Satan. There's scandalone. That's the word in Greek. Scandalous. You're a trap, a stumbling block, a temptation. You are literally doing Satan's work, which is what Satan was trying to do in the desert when he was trying to tell Jesus, you're doing it wrong, Jesus. You don't have to walk down this path that your father's mapped out for you. That's what Satan's going to be doing in just a few hours or days. The Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus is arrested and crucified. You don't have to go that way, Jesus. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die, Jesus. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, right? And Jesus says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You've bought into the lie. You refuse to see that suffering, dying, is actually part of it. In fact, it's the only way to it. And not just for Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to accept the same path, guys. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be who you were meant to be, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to do what you were meant to do, must deny yourself, must take up your cross daily and follow me. See, I think maybe the essence of Christian immaturity the root of our weakness as Jesus followers is this. We think Jesus went to the cross so we don't have to. Jesus suffered so I don't have to. Jesus died so bad things won't happen to me. Jesus was broken so I don't have to live a broken life, right? If life gets hard, if I'm suffering, bad things happen to me, if life is broken, God's doing it wrong. Right? No. Guys, there will be a perfect. If you keep following Jesus, you're going to get to the perfect someday, but not in this broken world. And then Jesus says this, which is actually the line that I've been driving to all morning. He says, for whoever wants to save their life, or if you want, you could translate it, whoever wants to save their soul is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life, their soul, for me, will find it. Or in the NLT, if you try to hang on to your life, your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Did you buy that? You actually try to live it? There are several Greek words in the New Testament for life. There's the word bios. You can see it in our word biology, physical life. There's the word zoe. You can see it in our word zoology for animal life. Those are not the words that are used in this verse. Matthew uses the word suke. You can see that word in our word psychology, which... Eh, it's the study of the mind, the study of the behavior, the study of the spirit. In the New Testament, suke is usually translated soul. It's that part of us that is not just animal. 
It's that non-biological part of who you are, that spiritual part of who every single one of you are, that's even more real than the physical side of you. Jesus says whoever tries to save their own soul, not just their life, their soul, and lose it. Whoever lets go of your soul, whoever lets go of your you, for my you will find the real you. Stretch those words too far? I don't think so. You see, I know Jesus is telling us not to run when following him gets hard. There's going to be time when being a Jesus follower is going to bring pain to you, right? If you do it right. Don't run when they try to cancel you because you're a Jesus follower. Don't run if you're threatened because you're a Jesus follower. Someplace in the world, they're even killing people just because they're Jesus followers. It's happening right now. And I know that Jesus means at least that. But I think he means more than that because the word is suke, not just bios or zue. It's not about just following Jesus no matter what it costs you physically. It's about finding the real me by giving up my me for him. Whoever tries to save himself will lose his self. Whoever tries to give up his self for me will find his real self. In fact, the message... and you don't know who you are. <clears throat> Excuse me, you don't know who you are really. And that creates so many problems for you. We go through life either ignoring or blinded to what we were meant to be. And without as an anchor point, without that as an anchor point, we go on all these quests to kind of find ourselves, right? You've got to find yourself. You've got to discover the real you. Who are you really? And you're right, you need to find the real you, but you're looking for it in so many of the wrong places. Mark Twain, you ever hear Mark Twain? Pretty smart guy. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. We believe you find out the why. The day you find your real self is the day you figure out who Jesus really is. You're looking in the wrong places. People look for themselves and they ask questions like this. What do I like most? What do I want most out of life? What feeds me? What excites me? What are my values? What do I want my purpose to be? It's kind of funny to me, actually, that a lot of people who don't believe in God are looking for their purpose. As if there really is a purpose, if there is no God. So people are out there trying to discover themselves and they're looking in the wrong places. Some people are into Buddhism, some kind of Eastern mysticism, and they try to find their self by denying that there's any self at all, right? I want you to believe that there is no self to protect. We're just all part of the same whole. There's no real good. There's no real evil. To know yourself is to lose yourself, to forget yourself. Poppycock. Others look for self. In the acceptance of others, many of you guys have probably walked that path. I'm going to be somebody when people respect me. I'm going to be some pe somebody when people admire me. I'm going to be somebody when people like me, when the right people like me.
How many likes do you get on something you post? And people will do nearly anything to be accepted by twits like you and me. How crazy is that? Or some people look for self in power or stuff. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be somebody when people listen to me, when people fear me. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be somebody when what I think matters. You know people like that? I'm gonna build my little castle because I believe that the one with the most toys wins. That works for a while. There are a whole lot of people in our culture that try to find themselves by following their heart. Got to follow your heart, right? Going after whatever makes me happy. That's being authentic. Devoting myself to what I want out of life. Whatever makes me feel good. That's being authentic, right? What pleases me? If it makes you happy, go for it. When it stops making you happy, go for something else. And Jesus is like, listen guys, listen. What good is it going to be for you to gain the acceptance and the admiration of men if you lose your soul? Are the likes of men worth that much to you? What good is it going to be for you to gain all the world and all the stuff in the world and lose your soul? Is stuff worth that much much to you? What good will it be to devote your whole life to whatever makes the physical side of you happy? If it costs you your soul. Because you're going to be missing who you really are. And you're missing why you really are. You're lost. Jesus, if any of, any of you want to be my follower, you've got to give up your way. You've got to give up yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. Listen, guys, you don't find yourself by searching for yourself. You find yourself by pursuing Jesus. That's what we were made to be. It's what we were made to do. When we understand who he really is, we start to understand who we really are. And that is huge. A very famous Jesus follower named Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a very famous book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says about these verses, he's writing about these verses we're talking about this morning. He says, when Jesus calls us, he bids us, come and die. Come on, be a Jesus follower, come and die. Because here's the deal, that's when you discover who you really are. That's when you discover your true identity, your reality. If you want to have life to the fullest, both now and for forever, you've got to take up a cross and deny yourself and follow Jesus. You don't find yourself by looking for yourself. You find yourself by pursuing Jesus. Guys, we're hybrids. I've talked about that before. We're all hybrids. It's what we really are. You're part physical and you're part spiritual. Of all of the creatures of this earth, you are the ones who were created to stand with one foot in both worlds. You're not only given a body, you're given a soul so you can do life with God for God. That is who you are. Because of that, you stand with one foot in the present and you stand with one foot in eternity, don't you? Right now. You were created for the even now and the not yet. And if you forget that, this life gets so messed up. Guys, where we are right now, where we're sitting right now, what we're living right now is just the intro. 
But what happens in this intro is going to flow out into the what's going to take place in eternity for every one of us, isn't it? We're hybrids in so many other ways. We're these bundles of paradoxes created to choose the right, the good, the loving, and yet prone to choose the wrong, the bad, the unloving. Called to be holy, choosing so often the unholy. And we know it. We're sinners and we can't save ourselves. I cannot make myself into the man that I want to be, much less the man God wants me to be. But he can change me. I don't have to live in denial of my dark side. I am a barbarian with a thin veneer of Christianity. Thank God he loves me anyway. I don't have to excuse that dark side, rationalize that dark side, try to shift the blame for it on somebody else. I am a sinner, passionately loved by my God, who wants me as his kid anyway. How cool is that? You too. My real identity is not who I think I am. My real identity is not who you think I am. My true identity is not dictated by what any person thinks that I am. My identity is not dictated by the kind of weight that I can throw around or how many people listen when I talk. My identity cannot be found in the truck that I drive or the house that I live in or the size of my 401k. Nor is my identity dictated by my successes or failures as a husband or a father, a son, a friend, a neighbor, a boss, a colleague. My identity is certainly not dictated by the color of my skin, the gender, my age, or this sculptured body of mine. That's humor, by the way. My identity is dictated by what God thinks of me. And he adores me for some crazy reason. My identity is dictated by God. That's who I am. And what God does with me will be dictated by what I do with his son, who I determine that Jesus really is. I believe Jesus is the Christ. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's my savior and my Lord. I believe that for some crazy reason, God loves me enough that he sent his own son to die in my place to pay for my sins so I can be at peace with God. I believe that my life now revolves around Jesus, my Savior and Lord. Do you? We live now for something way bigger than ourselves. We live for something that is not temporary but eternal. We lose life to find real life. And I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Jesus follower. You know what that means? It means that life's going to be hard sometimes. It was for him. Jesus told me it would. It means that brokenness and pain and suffering and death are not surprises to a Jesus follower. Because as long as we're in this broken world, as long as we sin, as long as people around us sin, as long as the world that we are in is at war with our God, brokenness and pain and suffering and death are going to be part of it. That's okay. You know why it's okay? Because we have hope. We know what's coming. One guy put it like this. He said, if you have nothing except God, you've got everything you need. If you have everything except God, you still have nothing. 
God plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus God equals nothing at all. You believe that? It's God's truth. Listen to the story of one of our brothers. Hey guys, um, 